0: Well, good morning, whether you're here in person or watching online, it's good to see you guys. It's good to be here worshiping together. Hey, over the last month, we've been exploring these seven love letters from Jesus to the church that we see in the book of Revelation. Uh, And we've been asking not only what is Jesus saying to those churches, what did he say to those churches nearly 2000 years ago, but also what is he saying to us here at East Point some 2000 years later? And each week we've had the letter delivered in a different way in order to help show the timelessness of the message. A couple of weeks ago, Andre received a love note when he was preaching. Last week we had the Pony Express and some guy that appeared to be Chuck Norris de- deliver the lever, letter. And apparently this week we have a couple of pastor's kids coming through. Uh, uh, Alright, well hey, uh, thank you girls very much. That's what happens. People say, how do you get your kids here so early on Sunday morning? You say sugar, sugar. That's it. Uh, But the letters today are delivered to us uh, in a couple of children's books, which is interesting because uh, this children's book that's written by a famous Hollywood actress who's also uh, says she's a Catholic. It's a book about heaven, but it doesn't anywhere in it mention Jesus at all, never mentions resurrection, it never mentions sin, Uh, it just talks about when you die your spirit goes to heaven and grandma watches over you, it doesn't even say God watches over you, it says grandma watches over you from heaven, Um, I remember reading that and finding that somewhere and like hiding it from the children, like don't let the kids see that. Um, But then there's another children's book that's actually this one in particular was being distributed in schools, and there's a lot that are in very similar uh, vein to it. Um, Basically, that's teaching that uh, teaching kids like this one's targeted to first through third grade um, about accepting transgenderism, um, and uh, before kids are even really able to understand these subjects. Um, And I read some of this and and. There's a part of me that wants to get angry at that. But what I realize um, is that these books are coming from the world. Why should we expect any difference? Like, um, we've been blessed in our country for a long time to have some Christian roots in some areas. Not in all, but in some areas. There's been other areas that have been widely neglected when it comes to Christian teachings. And we're moving more and more towards a direction of being... A post-Christian nation is the way that it would be described. Um, And frankly, um, we really shouldn't expect secular writers or organizations or even public places to endorse Christianity. That's we really don't expect non-Christians to hold up Christian teachings, do we? Uh, And so, but then what happens whenever we get into the church? How is that affected in the church? Because the reality is, is that, Um, tolerance is the virtue above all virtues that people want to hold up in the current American culture. Uh, It's been said that the only absolute is that there are no absolutes. Maybe you've heard this. It doesn't make any sense, does it? (laughs) That's an absolute in and of itself. But none of us really knew how all this would play back in 2000 when I first started studying about a post-modernity, postmodernism, modernism um, as, you know, I'm not going to throw out a lot of big words today because it doesn't really help unless you're really into it, uh, but basically um, what we've seen, along with the rise of the internet's influence and the creation of social media and smartphones, uh, is that we're living in a time where the concept of truth is dead to most people. If you want a perfect example of it, we don't go and get the news anymore, You go to the place you want to and get your news from your perspective. It's just a classic example of how we have replaced truth with the bias that we want. But Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the reality is, is that we don't believe that the truth is here to be a burden upon you but to be a blessing to you and while sometimes the truth hurts and sometimes I want to stand up like Jack Nicholas and say you can't handle the truth the reality is is that we all need to get a grasp on truth and that truth isn't just a foreign concept but in the Bible we're introduced to the idea that truth is a person and Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus says that, he's making a bold claim that all truth is really rooted in God. Not just God's truth, but God, the character of God. And so if we want to be witnesses to the character of God in our culture, we have to understand that if we're going to do that, we must know God and walk with God and hold to his truth. And so in a world that says we must tolerate everything, I actually want to talk to you today about the integrity of intolerance, because I do believe that there are times where we need to be intolerant and where intolerance is actually a good thing. And what I mean is intolerant towards sin, intolerant towards what is wrong. We can't waffle on those subjects. We have to be clear and stand firm. But at the same time, what I want to suggest to you today is that how we teach or how we uh, treat false teaching outside the church is very different than how we treat false teaching within the church. Because, again, the reality is, is that we would expect those outside the church not to hold the biblical teaching. Correct. Why would we expect sinners, you know, people who don't walk with Christ to, to follow the ways of truth? And so we see Paul in the New Testament, whenever he is talking with people who are not yet Christians, he, he approaches them like a, like a debate, not like the debates that we have in our country today, but like a, a conversation with people where they present ideas and listen to each other and come at each other with different arguments and, and they figure out and they, they well, that's something we've got to think about. You presented something today that's, that's life altering. We need to think about this if it's really true. That's what our philosophy should really be outside the church, is primarily helping introduce people to Jesus. But then inside the church, Jesus addresses this issue through John in this letter to the church at Thyatira. So here it is, Revelation 2, verse 18 and following in today's letter. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. What's he saying here? Well, Thyatira was a marketplace. It was, it, was a, it was a trading center. And so there were a lot of craftsmen in the city, especially a lot of metal workers. My dad's a metal worker, so that struck my interest. And so part of the problem, though, is that a lot of the metal workers, they had what was called guilds. Uh, And these guilds, they would actually, they would practice a pagan religion as a part of their workplace, asking various gods to bless their work. And so if you're a Christian, if you've come to faith in Christ, and all of a sudden you go to the guild, or you try to get work through the guild, that's not going to work very well when they don't see you bowing to their gods anymore. And so Jesus is presenting himself as the one who is over all of that. He said, They're bowing to those gods and asking them to, to bless their work, but I'm the one who really is over all that. I'm the one who can bring the blessing, not them. And Jesus continues and says, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. This is starting out good, isn't it? Because you remember uh, that, uh, that the church in Ephesus, the first letter we looked at, they talked about their faithfulness, their service, and their endurance. But then he went on to say, but I got this one little thing against you, yet you're not loving each other or loving God. Right here in Thyatira, we see that they have that love that's going on along with the other elements. And it goes on to say that I know your last works are greater than your first. We have a word for that, don't we? Growth or maturity. This church is maturing along nicely. They're practicing love. They have these elements of endurance. They've endured trials. This is going pretty well so far. And then here is what Jesus says against them. He says, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed by idols. And so here we see what's happened is that there's been a person, in this case a woman that has emerged in the church as a false teacher. She's teaching something that's contrary to the gospel of Christ. Now in the text we would uh, assume that her main sins would be sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. But we also know that those could be figurative terms. The sexual immorality helping to see how people have been unfaithful to Christ. Uh, And the the food sacrifice to idols would be a compromise of their beliefs of welcoming in pagan beliefs, basically. And so while there's a high possibility that the, the main sin of this woman, Jezebel, and that's not her actual name, that's referring to an Old Testament figure, Jezebel, who deceived people in Israel, there's a few possibilities that we see of Jezebel's sin. One of them is, of course, sexual immorality. The second would be that she was teaching some type of a materialism, or basically an equivalent of today's prosperity gospel, saying that, yes, everybody can, should have more stuff, that God would really bless everybody with more stuff, which, of course, when people are in poverty, is, is an absolute slap in the face to them. It shows them as being some type of inferior people, because they don't, they're not as blessed, even though some, some of the strongest people of the faith I've met. Are not rich or wealthy people. A third thing is that she could be teaching pluralism or relativism. Hey, in addition to Jesus, you should be worshiping this God as well, as we saw Jezebel in the Old Testament was encouraging people to do. And all reality is probably a combo of them that she was teaching. Probably there's a little bit of all of those elements in what she was doing. This is difficult, isn't it? What's a church supposed to do when this happens? Maybe it starts off innocently enough. Maybe it starts off with, well, did you hear what she just said? That doesn't quite line up. Did you, did you hear what he was talking about there? That I, I didn't see that. I can't find that in Scripture anywhere. And then it continues onward and onward and onward until it's blatant. And in this case, this person's influence grew to a point where she was deceiving many people in the church and had such loyal followers that it would seem like it would absolutely be devastating to say anything against her. But we're called to be intolerant in these situations. Verse 21, Jesus says, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. So the question is, is, when should we be intolerant towards people in the church? When should we say, no, that's not correct. We're not going to allow that to be taught here. When should we say this has gone on long enough? Things need to change. Because the reality is, is that Satan does a lot more damage from within the church than he does from outside of the church. And that's why God has given us godly men and women... To help protect us. That's why we have godly men who serve as elders, as overseers to help protect the flock. I think there's a couple of times when we should be intolerant towards people in the church. The first one is when there's false teaching involved, when people are teaching something that goes contrary to the gospel of Jesus. I'm not talking about just little differences here or there in understandings of Scripture things that aren't absolutes, that we are still in mystery. I'm talking here about clear and blatant times where there's false teaching that's happening. But there's a second time that's also important to remember, and that is when there is an unrepentant or arrogant attitude. And this is something that we probably all fall victim to from time to time. I know especially as a young man, there were times where the elders would come to me in the churches that I serve and said, yeah, Dustin, you might want to think about how you presented that one. Because at the end of the day, there's no place for arrogance in the body of Christ. We are all sinful human beings who were created in the image of God that are desperately in need of the redemption of Christ. And the only reason we're here is because God has lavished his grace upon us. Amen? Amen. And so when there's an unrepentant or arrogant attitude, this is this is so difficult. I mean, uh, and and I've worked in a situation before in one of my previous ministries several years ago where we had this issue where they by the book, you could say, well they're doing everything by the book, but their attitude was awful. And it literally took several years in order to deal with this issue because it was so difficult because it wasn't like something you could just really pin it on. Well, they're doing this wrong. They're doing this wrong. And on multiple occasions say, man, this would be a lot easier if there was like some type of sexual sin or something, because you'd be able to say, hey, this is what's happened. This, This is clearly wrong. We need to do something about this. So I really want to to just say as Christians, we have a huge responsibility to constantly guard our attitudes against the character of Christ. With the character of Christ, we're trying to become more like Christ. How is that working out? As people of truth, are we also showing grace? Because God's truth is rarely a hammer. God's truth is most often exhibited in relationships. When He came to earth, Jesus did not come merely to judge. He came to live amongst us. To rub off on us. To show us what truth looks like when it is lived out beautifully in grace. So verse 22 continues. He says, look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Jesus is using these words as he so often does in these letters. The sick bed, the illustration of someone who he's comparing whether she actually is or not. I think she is to some degree committing sexual immorality and comparing it to the bed where that has been happening and saying she's going to be lying in bed there sick. That bed's not going to be something that's celebrated anymore. God's going to bring that type of judgment. There are consequences for our sins. I know we love to say in today's culture, well, we shouldn't judge anybody. I mean, we love to quote that, you know, verse from Jesus in in Matthew 7, you know, about judge not lest ye be judged. The King James there, the nice little ye thrown in there. The reality is, is Jesus is talking about condemning people to hell. He's not saying to say, well, that's right or that's wrong. I mean, could you imagine if you didn't ever teach your kids what's right and wrong? You know, if, if, you're, if, you're, if your husband tried to discipline the kids and, and you just said to him, well, well, no, honey, like don't judge the kids. Of course I want my daughter to date that guy. I mean, of course we stand up for truth. So it says, I will strike her children dead. Unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead. Now before I shock you all with that statement from Jesus... It's widely believed that Jesus is referring to her children as the people who are following her teachings, not her biological children here, okay? Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say this to the rest of you in Thyatira, and this is so important to hear this, to the rest of you who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, and that's just literally what's going on Is she's teaching these secrets that really is just lies. I hear oftentimes, well, these secrets, these deeper secrets of God. And I'm like, no, that's not the way it works. She says, as they say, he says, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter and he will shatter them like pottery. Again, this imagery of of craftsmen and pottery here. Just as I have received this from my father, I also give him the morning star. Let anyone who hears, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I think it's important here that he says like, when when there's times like these, when there's difficult false teachers that arise, when there's people that arise that are causing dissension in the church, sometimes it's enough for people just to hold on that aren't holding that teaching. I think that's so important for anybody who's ever been in a tough spot in a church where there's been conflict. Like, man, sometimes those things get ugly and they get messy. And I'm sorry if you've ever had to go through something like that. And through times like that, sometimes you just feel like, man, all you can do is hold on. And right here, Jesus says, in times like that, that's enough. There are times when you simply just have to hold on to Christ and His teachings and endure and persevere. And somehow through that trial, God makes you more like Him as you endure. Let me give you a few things here as we wrap up. First of all, without truth. There can be no repentance. One of the central places of of truth in the church is that we believe that God is all calling us all to repentance. We've seen five of these seven churches are being called to repentance. The very essence of the gospel is that we repent and trust God instead of trusting ourselves. We 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 turn to Christ. We understand that He is the one who can forgive us of our sins. And so in our culture that is without truth, I believe that people are craving truth. And I'm not just talking about truth in book form. I'm talking about truth in human form. Truth is Jesus Christ. And it all flows through Him. When they see the truth of Jesus Christ being living out in our lives, there's something that's very appealing about that. We've all needed to repent. We all continually need to repent. It's about writing ourselves to God's truth organizing our lives around Him, centering our lives around Him. But how does this work? We talk about there's a time where we can be intolerant, or we should be intolerant towards people in church. How should we do it? Well, first, just like Jesus, we must always give people the opportunity to repent. In fact, in Matthew, it even talks about giving multiple opportunities for people to repent. And this is vitally important that we show this grace we cannot expect everybody to have it all figured out all the time. Amen? There's going to be times where, where the leaders will come to me and say, Dustin, we, th- we think you're a little off on this. And, and I have to trust that when that happens, that they're doing that out of love. It doesn't always feel loving in the moment. In fact, the whole thing when Jesus talks about when, when two or more gather, there I am with them. You've heard that passage, right? that's not actually talking about like in a worship service when they're playing your favorite song and you get all the warm fuzzies. That's actually talking about in a situation of church discipline when there's conflict going on in the church. And Jesus is saying, I know you're not going to be able to feel it, but believe it or not, when two or more are gathered in my name, he's talking about restoring someone. There I am with them. Do you believe that? Before we ever confront someone, it would be wise for us to pray and remind ourselves, Jesus, we want to be your representatives here. Purify us as we're working to help this brother or sister become more like Jesus. Secondly, the integrity of intolerance demands that we always uphold the truth with absolute humility. We, there, there is not room for pride in God's church. There's not room for ego. And I can tell you that because God's had to squeeze that out of me. I was a pretty confident kid come out of college, okay? And that's something that God still works on me about. The integrity of intolerance demands that we always uphold the truth with absolute humility. There, but by the grace of God, was I. How true is that? That if our situation were different, we might be in the same spot. So we must humbly approach that, not out of arrogance or better than anybody else, but simply recognizing that God wants us to be His messengers of reconciliation, as Second Corinthians 5, 17-22 talks about. God wants to be His ambassadors as though Christ were reconciling others through us. That's what he's doing. You know, at the end of the day, it's about the kids. I'm here today because my church believed in truth. They helped reconcile my parents when my parents were were not living out God's truth. They found love and they found grace, but it was all centered in truth. And they believed in me and invested in me. And that's what I want for East Point too. I want our next generation To be stronger than we are. I want our next generation. To be more committed to Christ than we are. That's not to say that we need to slack off. To make them look good. That's saying that we invest in them so much. That our faith compels them. To do things in faith. That would make us uncomfortable. (laughs) Church that's what it's about. An environment of truth and grace. Where people see Jesus. And become more like him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, man, we just confess to you that we live in a culture uh, where truth has gone out the window, where we have chosen uh, pluralism and where we have chosen a, a false sense of tolerance that, 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 that doesn't look anything like a grace. And we just confess to you that so much of that seeps into our own lives as we're uh, just so absorbed by the world through so many means. And Lord, we just confess to you that we want to be more like Jesus. We want to live the type of life that leads others to see the hope that we have. The hope that literally lasts for all eternity. The hope that resurrects. The hope that restores. The hope that forgives. The hope that invests in other people's lives. So we commit ourselves to you, not just for ourselves, but for the next generation and for generations to come. To being a church that raises up solid believers who are willing to go into all the world, whether that be around the world or right here in the Columbus area, and invest in others' lives in a time when truth is so desperately needed. We commit ourselves to you to do so. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to endure as people of truth, to center ourselves in your word As we center ourselves in you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.